Okay. Well, we are going to begin a new study this morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you are going to Children's Church, uh, now is a good time to do that. Okay. Um, there is Children's Church today. So there's not a slide, evidently, for it. But, um, but there is Children's Church today. Uh, so if you all would follow Miss Rachel. Um, we're going to be, again, a new study in the Gospel of John. Well, we're just going to look at the first five verses today because they are honestly so deep and rich we need to spend some time on them. Uh, I want to read them to you and then pray with you. Let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. May the Lord our Father add His blessing to the reading of His Word, and let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word in both senses, on the written Word and the living Word who gives life to us. And Father, we, we pray that this morning as we open Your written Word, that You would reveal to us the living Word and help us to see Him in all of His glory. We praise You. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 1 begins in an interesting way. It starts out, in the beginning. And if you were a good Jew, or if you're just familiar as a, as a Christian with the book of Genesis, you know that there's one other book in the entire Bible that starts out with those three words. It's Genesis. Uh, in the beginning. The next word you're expecting to see then is... God. That would be the next word you're expecting. But instead of a noun, you get a verb. And the verb is the word was, followed by another noun, the word. And this structure is meant to clue us in. This grammatical structure, this, this, um, this way of operating is meant to uh, tell us what kind of story we're about to hear. Let me give you an, an illustration. Uh, when, if I start a movie with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, what kind of story is that? Right? That's a Star Wars movie, right? Well, if you start out in the beginning, what you're about to tell in the Bible is a creation story. And lest anybody thinks, think otherwise, this is a true creation story, just like Genesis unlike Star Wars. Um, the Apostle John is drawing a deliberate parallel between what he's telling us here and what Genesis has already told us. And his story begins the same. It includes several of the same terms. And it, it assigns the act of creation to the same power, to the Word of God. What is different is that we find out in John that the Word of God is a person. The Word of God is a person. 
And that, uh, that is one of the four important truths that we learn in the first two verses of these five verses. The first one is that the Word is eternally existent. Eternally existent. Uh, when you read in English, in the beginning was the Word, what you need to understand there is that the word that was translated for us in English was, is in the Greek imperfect tense. I'm about to drop some scholarly stuff on you here, okay? Uh, you don't need to understand what the Greek imperfect tense is ex exactly, but you need to understand that it indicates continual action in the past. Con you know, action that begins in the past and is continuing in the past. And so it's not completed in the past, it's, it's operating in the past and continuing in the past. So, in other words, you could translate this, uh, if, you, if you want to over-translate just a little bit, that John is telling us that the Word always was, that He always was wasing, if you will. Uh, <laughs> that, there was, that there was never a time when He wasn't. That he was always around. In other words, um, this rules out, this first phrase in this first verse rules out any kind of idea that the Word, whoever the Word is, ever came into existence. Uh, in other words, you cannot read your Bible and be a Jehovah's Witness. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that, that there is God and then God created the Son at some point later as the first part of His creation. The first being that He created was the Word. That is not what the Bible says. John rules that possibility completely out that the Word was eternally existing. From the beginning. And in a, a couple verses, uh, he's going to tell us here in chapter 1 who the Word is. And we need, we're going to come to understand that the Word is the Son of God who became incarnate in Jesus. But that these verses rule out from the beginning the Son of God being a created being. So you need to understand that. There's a theological point that's very important. That there never was a time when the Word, the Son of God, did not exist. He always was. From the beginning. When was the beginning? It was the beginning. How far back is that? Forever. I feel like I'm quoting Smalls from Sandlot. Forever. Right? Um, forever He was. He always has been. He always will be. He was always existing. Second truth we discover is that the Word was eternally with God. Now the word with there is again important. It is only used in Greek to describe a relationship between people. You use a different word to talk about I was with my horse. I was with... Uh, I was with my dog on a walk. Something like that. When this word with describes relationship between persons. 
It's a relational word that describes relationship between two persons, which is a hint of the reality that the word is a person, which is the third important truth in these first two verses. Look at verse 2 for just a second. What's the word you see that begins verse verse 2? What do you see? He. He, in case you you slept since grammar class, is a personal pronoun. It means that John is describing the word as something which is not just a force or an energy out there somewhere, but is a person, a he. It's not an it, it's a he. And he's not even doing something like what Psalms does in personifying God's word in a poetic way. What he's saying is, That the Word of God is not simply God's speech as it's written down for us as in the Bible, but the Word is also a person who eternally exists in relationship with God. He's telling us something profound. He's teaching us in these first two verses something about the Trinity. The fact that God eternally exists and so does Another person whom he calls in this chapter the Word of God. And the Word of God eternally existed in relationship with God and yet somehow remains eternally distinct from Him. Now that messes with your head, I understand. If you think you understand the Trinity, you're probably a heretic uh, because you're not understanding it correctly if you go, yep, I got it, I got it completely, I understand. Uh, but there is a relational unity and yet distinction. So there is one God, but here in the first two verses we meet the second person who is also God and yet there remains one God. One God. But within the Godhead, there are now, we've been introduced to two persons who are eternally existent and eternally in relation with one another. And by the way, I wanted to I, I I want to highlight this. This is the final and really important truth in these verses. I skipped over it because I wanted to get to verse two. But the word was, and again, was always God. That's what we find out in verse. And verse 1, the Word of God always existed. He always existed in personal relationship with God because He is a person and He is Himself God. Now, there are some common errors to avoid on this. Okay? It isn't, when we're talking about persons within the Godhead, we're not talking about three aspects of one person. Not talking about, in other words, you know, I'm a pastor and a husband and a father, right? Three aspects of one person. I'm not talking about that when we're talking about God. We're not talking about three ways that a person acts. You know, like different roles that a person might have. We're not talking about that. We're talking about we're not talking about one supreme being and a couple of lesser beings. We're not talking about that either. We're talking about one eternal God who eternally exists within Himself in personal relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do I understand that? Not completely, no. 
it's slightly beyond my ability to grasp. I can kind of explain it a little bit, but to get my arms around it is difficult. All three persons are God, and yet there is one God. Uh, and they remain distinct, but not separate. And yet there is one God. Um, how does that all work? I don't know. But from eternity past, you should be thinking about how amazing and unfathomable God is. This is not just a supersized version of you, as Freud believed. This is not a projection of you and your humanity or, or, or humans together in their humanity. This is not an idea of God that we would invent for ourselves. This had to be revealed to us. And John is telling us this because he is the kind of creation story he is telling. He wants us to understand who God is, and he wants us to understand the things that God does. And we find out that the word in verse 3 created all things. Verse 3 we read, All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was made. And that ought to remind us of something. You remember how Genesis describes the creation? Remember? What did God do? It said, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God said, Let the you know, let there be water on the earth and let, let's separate the water in the sky and the water on the earth. And God said, and these things happened. In other words, that the creative power in the universe is the Word of God. And that's what Genesis says. John says, oh, and by the way, this person that I introduced to you is not just a power. This is a person. And the person of the Word of God caused these things to come into existence. All, and on top of that, it says all things. The word that he uses there to talk about all things is a a specific word. It's not meant to indicate creation in all of its vastness, but creation in all of its particularity. The idea is, is that every single thing in the universe was made directly by the Word of God. So we're talking aardvarks and atoms. We're talking plants and planets. We're talking stars. We're talking supernovas. We're talking snakes. We're talking every single thing in the universe is made directly by the Word of God. In the beginning, He made every single thing. And on top of that, we find out something else, which is that nothing that exists came into existence except by His power. You might think, well, that's obvious, because if it's true that He made everything, it follows logically that there is nothing that He did not make. But let me tell you why I think John underlines that, and why he says, without Him, nothing that has been made, was made. Um, It's because in John's day, there were all kinds of competing philosophies that were out there. 
there was a whole school of Greek philosophy that taught essentially a dualistic view of the universe. Now again, Star Wars is not true, okay? But let me give you an idea from Star Wars that tracks a lot of philosophies, a lot of religions actually, that are out there. The idea you know, in Star Wars is you've got you know, the good side of the force and the dark side of the force. That is straight up Eastern philosophy coming at you. And it's a dualistic universe. That there's, there's good things in the universe and bad things in the universe and nothing that unifies the two together. Well, in Greek philosophy in John's day, they, they believed that, that there was a good being who made things, and then equally powerful and equally in existence and equally bringing some things into existence was this evil God that was out there. And he was making stuff too. And the reason that things go wrong in the universe is because you've got, this equal, you've got these two equally powerful deities that are fighting it out. John says, all things, every single thing that exists came into existence through His power. And so to the extent there are evil things in the universe, they have become evil after having been made by a good God. It's not that they have equal power to Him. He made them. And they have become corrupt, but it is not because they existed that way in the beginning. All things were made by Him. Now, and in verses 4 and 5, we found out a couple of other things. We find out first. We found out already that the Word of God is eternally existing in relationship with God, and He is God, and He makes all things. He is also the God who wants a relationship with us. The God who wants a relationship with us. Look at verse four and five. Read them with me again. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You remember Genesis? What's the first thing that God made? Light. First thing that He made. Before there can be life in God's creation, He first has to have light. And God makes light light and light and life are not just something that God creates they're also according to verse 4 something that God is and something that he desires to bring to us and in the language of verse 5 where John speaks of the light continually shining and the darkness not overcoming it, we get the sense from John that he is using these terms of light and life and darkness uh, to talk about how the person of the Word of God is not just the Creator, He is also the new Creator. The one who brings people out of the darkness and into the light and gives them eternal life. He brings them into the light and the life that He Himself is. Not that He has, not that He makes, but that He Himself is. 
He who is the light shines in our darkened world. The world around us, men and women, is not darkened because He made it that way, but because free creatures that He did make use their freedom to rebel against Him and they make it dark. They make it dark. Yet His light is still shining. Amen? His light is still shining. And He is still life, and He gives life to whom He chooses. And the darkness is not going to win. It is not going to win. Even when it seems to win, it will not ultimately triumph. How do we know? Y'all remember back to English literature class? Remember the concept of called foreshadowing? Where you get a hint earlier in the story about something that's going to happen later. You watch mysteries or whatever, you gotta you gotta catch that, right? You gotta look for those clues in the beginning of the story about something that's gonna happen later so you can solve the mystery. Well, John is giving us foreshadowing of who Jesus is and what he came to do, and he's gonna talk and he's hinting that the darkness is going to seem to win for a while. But it won't win. It will not the light of the word of God will not be overcome. When Jesus died over the course of six hours on a Friday afternoon, suffering, bleeding, crucified, suffocating, choking on his own blood, the sky got dark. All the forces of darkness in the universe seem to think, we won. We won. Fast forward less than 72 hours, and what do you see? You see resurrected Jesus Christ shining forth light from the tomb. The light of Jesus Christ is shining in the dark and His life is not extinguished. And He longs, men and women, to bring us life and into light with Him. The darkness will not win. He will not be overcome by the darkness and He gives light and life to all who are drawn to Him. Now, you might be wondering, what do I do with a text like this? There's a lot of heavy theologizing that can happen in, in just five verses out of this. I, I, I could, and people have, written volumes about all of the implications of what it means that Jesus eternally existed in relationship with God and... and uh, and desires to bring relationship with God and bring us into that, fold us into that triune relationship with God. You become, Peter says, partakers of the divine nature. That you get folded in, in other words, to the relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son and has always existed from all eternity. You get brought into that relationship for eternity. What is that like? I don't know. How do I explain that? 
I can't. I can, I can talk all around it. But here's what I do understand. What I do understand is that there's a lot in this text that is beyond my ability to understand. And what it ought to cause me to do is to, it ought to help me worship God. It ought to help me worship God. Men and women, when we come to worship on Sunday morning, I don't know how you come. I don't know if you come burying all kinds of pain and difficulty and challenge in your life. I don't know if you come grudgingly. Well, I have to go to church again. Yeah. I, I don't know if you come joyfully. I don't know how you came today. But the idea behind these verses is to cause us to look up and to see God and to see glimpses of His glory and His majesty and His true nature and who He is as God and to step back and to say, Whoa! I never knew God was this big. And to be in awe of who He is and the fact that this being that exists eternally in, within Himself as one being who yet has within Himself three persons eternally existing in relationships of love that are all equal in power and glory and yet have always all been. I can't understand it, but I give Him praise. That that being wants to be in relationship with me. That He wants to shine His light and bring into my life and bring me into eternal life with Him. Ought to cause me to step back, to fall on my knees, to fall on my face in awe and worship of Him. And then beyond that, this passage is for us also to understand this, that God is personal. That He is eternally personal. And eternally existed in relationship. And He also wants to be in personal relationship with us. I remember when I was when I was growing up, I grew up in the church. I grew up with parents who loved Jesus and who took me to church. And I came to faith in Jesus Christ as a little guy. Talking like four or five years old. Little. And, and all I knew when I was a little guy was this. That people who put their trust in Jesus go to heaven. People who don't put their trust in Jesus go to hell. And as a little guy, I understood which of those was the better option. And I thought, I am going to mark myself down for heaven. I want to put my trust in Jesus. And I did it right there in Mrs. Weathers' Sunday school classroom with the 1970s green shag carpet and uh, orange walls and little blue chairs. Okay, none of it went together. It was the 70s. You know, you just got to make allowances. Okay. <laughs> um, and... And I just bowed my head and prayed and asked God to forgive me of my sin. And then, and then I, I kind of went along with life. And I thought, well, this is, this is good. You know, you, you, 
you, you get out of hell, this is a good thing. You get to go to heaven, that's a good thing. And I guess you just have to go to church and be miserable every week for the rest of your life. Okay, as kind of recompense over the fact that he's taking you to heaven one day, right? Please let it be today. God, <laughs> okay. I remember praying that way, right? And then when I got to be 13 years old, I went off to summer camp. Went down in Arkansas, Camp Beaver Fork, down in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, Conway, if you've not been there, it's easy to find. It's halfway in between Pickles Gap and Toad Suck, Arkansas. Okay, it is. Those are real towns. Okay, and uh, we went up there to Camp Beaver Fork, and I found out something no one had ever told me. Or if they had, I didn't have ears to hear. That you could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I was floored. I was like, you mean the God that is out there, the one that I am kind of scared of, that God loves me. And He wants to be in relationship with me. I can pray to Him. Like I, can't just, I don't have to just listen to the pastor kind of do whatever He does. I can actually pray to Him and He will speak to me through His Word and I can be in relationship that grows and change and experience the new life Jesus talks about. That can be mine. It was the most radical notion I have ever heard in my life. And it changed my life. And the point that John is making here is not just behold your God, although that is a great point and one we do well to pay attention to, but also the fact that God has been eternally personal and is still personal and desires a personal relationship with you and with me. So much so that as we'll read in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word, the One who made everything, the One who eternally existed in face-to-face relationship with God, the One who's, who is light and who is life and who is victorious over the darkness, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And from Him we have all received grace upon grace. That God loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. If you've never experienced that, maybe you came to Christ a long time before today. And you go, you know what? That story you just told me about no one ever telling you you could have a relationship with God, that makes total sense to me. I, I believed in Jesus to get out of hell, but I didn't know. He wants a relationship with you. A real relationship. And you can begin that today. As you seek Him in prayer, as He speaks to you through the Word, you will begin to grow begin to experience new life it'll be phenomenal if you don't still don't know how to do that talk to me i would like nothing better than to share with you what's been shared with me
Or maybe you're, you're like, I don't even have the first part of that. I don't even understand that Jesus is the Savior. He is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for your sin. He died on the cross to take away your sin and to bring you into relationship with Him. He wants you as an individual to experience light and life and joy and peace. And if you've never done that, if you've never done that, today is the day to experience new life. To come into the light and out of the dark. Let me pray for us and let me invite us into worship of this God who loves and is personal and powerful. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You reveal to us Yourself, that You declare in the written Word the truth about the living Word and how we can know Him and what He has done to help us to see who You are and what You are like and the fact that You are not just powerful and not just the Creator, not just our Maker, but the God who loves us. The God who wants to shine His light into our lives and give us life in relationship with Him. Father, we thank You for these marvelous truths that we have have heard and, and maybe only partially understood. Father, help us to worship You well, to see You in Your glory, and to come into the relationship that You desired for us, either a brand new one through faith in Christ, or a growing one through an understanding that You have made the way, not just for salvation, but for relationship between us and You. Father, help us to to give You praise for all these things today. In Jesus' name, Amen.